I just want to say how amazing it is for me to come each week. And I hope you have a sense of the same feeling when you get to walk in and see people having breakfast. And I feel so blessed that I walk in and Ash goes, would you like your English breakfast tea now? And I'm like, thank you. Your halo looks amazing on you today. It matches your outfit. I love it. I love looking at families. I love seeing our school students here. Our senior students going you know what? You ask me, I'll say yes. Let me give it a crack. Let's have some fun. I love that so much. And I encourage you and hope that you can get on board, find a space where you can be involved and feel like this is your home as well. I get to look out and feel like I'm with my family, some that I haven't seen for a while. So awesome. Now, We have been talking about, I'm part three in a series, The Lord's Prayer, and we've started off with, um, you know, it's a prayer that you've probably grown up with, a lot of you knowing. We started with our Father who art in heaven, and we unpacked the reality that when we say yes to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that he's our heavenly Father, someone who loves and values us, not some far distant person and that you're sending a random email to that it may or may not be in their junk box and they may or may not see it. Someone who wants to be super personal with you. And then last week, um, you, you heard a message on how worship, like hallowed be thy name, how we worship, how our communication with that God is an act of worship. And then today, The message of thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, depends what household you grew up, whether it was a thy or a your. Um, And I think today that this is a part of, so much a part of Jesus' ministry when he talks about kingdom that I actually think it's vital for you to understand today what this whole kingdom is. What do we mean by God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? Now, if you switch over to my PowerPoint, I've got a few things that I want to show you. So I want to start off with some of these. All right, this is what, right or wrong, this is what I think of when I think of the kingdom of heaven. This guy here, he's with St. Peter and he says, yes, I want to go back, but not to say goodbye. I need to get my Fitbit or these steps won't count. The next one says, actually, Santa and I use completely separate lists. The next one is, we give women about seven years longer to live than men to compensate for how much more time they spend in the line for public restrooms. I see it. I feel it. To be honest, Mr. Jobs, the last time an apple caused so much excitement around here involved Adam and Eve and a snake. You may enter but the Christmas sweater has to go. Sorry, your username and password don't match. And then this is the last one. Now, we mock my dad. He's not here today, so I can freely say it. We mock my dad often because he is the king of dad jokes. In fact, we were in the conference office a few weeks ago and he had his citation for his retirement. And at the end, they said, oh, come on, Joe, just give us one more joke. And, uh, you know, on his retirement from ministry, and he says, 
a guy walks into a bar and says, do you want to hear a blonde joke? And I'm like, wow, okay, Dad. It was quite funny, but I'm like, wow. Okay, so he's known for jokes. So I thought that today I might see if I can pull one off. You will notice there's a picture, but there's also a command that accompanies this joke. So just to save my feelings, because I know you would not want to hurt my feelings, if, you know, for some diabolical reason you don't find this joke funny, just laugh. Okay, it can be like a, there's nothing in the room. I told it to Joshy last night and he's like, no one over 40 is going to laugh at that. No one under 40 is going to laugh at that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. All right, here we go. Ready? So don't forget to laugh at the end. Three men arrived at the kingdom of heaven and were met by St. Peter at the pearly gates. And it was Christmas time. In honour of this holy season, St. Peter said, you must each possess something that symbolises Christmas to get into the kingdom. Whoa, the first man fumbled in his pockets and pulled out a lighter. He flicked it on. Oh, it represents a candle. He said, you may pass into the kingdom, said St. Peter. Instead of keys, he shook them and said, they're bells. St. Peter said, off you go. You may pass into the kingdom. The third man started searching desperately on his person through his pockets and everywhere, and he finally pulled out a pair of women's glasses. St. Peter looked at the man and raised one eyebrow. And just what do these symbolize? Um, they're carols? Right? It's funny, right? I'm 100% sure that was a genuine laughter. That was a genuine laughter. But if we don't understand when we pray, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, what do you think about it? Like you've probably said those words. Have you considered what they actually mean? And tongue in cheek, this is what I think of when I think of the kingdom of God. But if that's all we think about it, then we have missed a vital part of Jesus' ministry. It actually came into so much of his ministry and it's something that I think we desperately need to understand because it changes how we behave. It changes. When we understand what the kingdom of God is, we change. And my prayer today is that we walk out of this door remembering, understanding that we are a citizen of heaven. We are under a different reign to what we were before since we've said yes to being a follower of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we sit here and we want to say thank you for being blessed enough to be here in this space. Lord, we think of those that aren't here and we ask that you will be with them today. God, pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to understand the truth of what you established here on earth and what we can look forward to in the future. We love you. In your name, amen. All right, so it's not some far off place just up in the clouds, this kingdom of God. It's something much deeper than that. It's something much closer to that. When we pray your kingdom come. In fact, John the Baptist was the very first person that kind of heralded 
bundled in this concept of the kingdom of heaven. And it says to Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Not the kingdom of heaven is coming near. Not the kingdom of heaven heaven will come one day, but the kingdom of heaven is coming near. Near. Jesus himself talks about the kingdom of heaven. It's recorded in his gospels over 80 times. And 30 of those 80 are in the book of Matthew, where we find our prayer. The kingdom of heaven. Now, here's some definitions. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, what is it? It's the reign of God, God's kingly power exercised over creation and his people. This is what being a part of the kingdom is. It's God's kingly reign and rule over us. It's not just this beautiful, you know, Disney castle in the sky. It's now. It's a part of what we are living in now. Um, Another commentator said this, which I love. Kingdom is the favorite word of Jesus for the rule of God in the heart, here and now. It is both present and future and will reach a glorious consummation, an ending. It's an understanding that we're kind of partially living in the kingdom of God, but looking forward to and longing to the the fulfillment of it when he is here with us and creates everything new again. This is what the definitions are. Jesus claims that in a sense, we have kind of arrived, but not fully arrived. Paul talks about we are in a partial kingdom and it will be completed when Jesus returns. But the passage of Luke that we're going to look at today holds a message that clearly helped explain what being a follower of Jesus Christ looked like. It shows us the agenda for God's kingdom. And we can, when we can understand that agenda, we can truly know how we live in, how we fit into that space. These verses that we're going to read today express the spiritual implications of the rule of Jesus in our lives, not what will happen in future, not what will happen years, when I die, later on, what happens now, the rule of Jesus in our lives, how regarding Jesus as our king translates into our ethics and our daily living. What does it mean to live now in this kingdom of God that is here with us. What does it mean? You see, we're going to open up to Luke. So go to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read from 17 to 26. And then we're going to talk about the concept of what this kingdom is and what it's like and what difference it can make to us. So we'll read through it first and then we'll come back and we'll unpack it all together. So it says, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. Now, what you'll hear today in these passages is seems a little bit familiar because it's actually somewhere else as well. It's also called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a different recording, not of the same event, but commentators say that we understand that Jesus was an itinerant preacher and he would travel. It's actually recorded as the Sermon on the Plain. 
It's not the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Plain. It has some similar content. It's a much shorter descriptive of the kingdom of God. So we've got a whole heap of people gathered, the disciples there in particular. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those that were troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him, Jesus, because power was coming from him and healing them all. The power of God through Jesus was on display in this place, and people were coming to be a part of it. Looking at his disciples, he said, and here we go into, there's a list of four blessings and then four woes. And as we unpacked it later, you'll understand the concept of what does that blessing really mean and what does that woe really mean. Looking at the disciples, and in the original language, there's real emphasis on these words, looking at his disciples. It describes a teacher not just going, I'm going to like teach to a crowd or, you know, I've got some just stuff I've downloaded and I want, you know, I want to pass it over. It actually clearly goes, you know what, he intently met the eyes of his disciples. He drew them in to this message because it was something special that he needed them to understand. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. When you read that on face value, you're like, whoa, what? What the heck? Okay. Man, what if I just did my, you know, monthly budget and it's looking really, really healthy? Like, is it a bad thing? Like, what's going on here? How do I understand and make sense of this vital teaching about the kingdom? And the crazy thing is, this kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom that flies in the face of every natural human law that would have existed at all of the human values. Citizens of God's kingdom are now living under a new reigning king with different perspectives, different values, and different priorities. Jesus was communicating to his followers very, very clearly, let me share you a new way of looking at life. Let me share you a new way of how to follow someone. This is what it means. So the passage consists of blessings and woe, this upside-down kingdom. Side note, randomly, and this is probably another, you know, super not old but not young person's thing, but as I was doing this um, wiggle, and, you know, where half of you won't even know, but he had the pencil on his nose and he used to draw on the blackboard and then he'd go upside down, Miss Jane, upside down, Miss Jane. He'd turn the picture up and it made sense. My nieces came to my sister this week and said, Mum, we want to watch the person with the pencil on their nose. 
And Mariah's like, what is this? It, they came home from daycare. What is this? There's something about a person with a pencil on their nose. I'm like, it's Mr. Squiggle. It's Mr. Squiggle. So she showed them Mr. Squiggle. So look, you know, retro, everything's making a comeback. We are actually really cool at 45. Um, so <laughs> this upside down kingdom, what does it mean to us? What does this upside down kingdom mean to you and I on a daily basis when we pray to God a prayer that I think is quite dangerous in a good way when we say, you know what, God, like not this kingdom not this society that I'm in, but your kingdom. Let you reign over me today. Let me fall in line and in step with the way you want to lead my life. Not my preconceived ideas, not what the world tells me, but what you want for me. Now, this is how we can understand the term blessed from the original Greek. It actually just simply translates as happy. But when you read into it, it talks about a happy, not a superficial happy, not a situational happy, more like joy, a deep happiness. So when you read these passages and you see the word blessed, it's like, you know what? Huh, you'll be happy despite your current circumstances, you will be happy. You'll have an understanding of what can bring joy in these spaces. So let's go through them again and we'll unpack. Looking at his disciples, like I said before, that deep, let me let my words penetrate you right now. Disciples, put your phone down. I don't care if it's your wife that's ringing. Like whatever it is Jesus is saying to his disciples, focus on me. Actually, more than that, can you just lean in? Can you just listen right now? And I want to be able to be close enough to make eye contact directly with you because this is how important this is because it's so different to what everyone else thinks. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. In this upside down kingdom, how can being poor be a blessing in our society, being poor is definitely not a blessing. It is not something that everyone wakes up in the morning and goes, well, I'm going to go to bed early so I can get up early because I'm going to, from dawn till dusk, I'm going to try and be poor today. Like, dead set, I'm going to rock it and do it well. We don't do that. It's not a position that we attain to, but in this upside-down kingdom, God is saying through Jesus, do you know what? When you recognize that you have a need, when you recognize that you don't have everything, you will understand what it means to rely on me. That's when you can find the blessing. When you see that you can't live everything, do everything, achieve everything, attain everything on your own. You need me as your king. That's when you understand what it means to be poor. Jesus' words, however, are not a promise that, you know what, everyone in the world right now, if you're poor, then you just automatically go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is a recipe for those people that want to enter into his kingdom. If you want to be with God in his kingdom, if you want to say, yes, I accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, and I want to come under his reign, then this is what it looks like. You don't just like, you know, give you permission to squander everything tonight, you know, book a cruise or something so that you can um, enter into the kingdom of God. That's not what it means. But a poor man must look to others for what they need. They understand their inability. 
They're under no illusions that they can create their own fortune. And that's what Jesus says to us. Don't be under the illusion that on your own, you can provide everything that you need. You can't, but I can. I can do that with you. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. We all know what it's like to be hungry. As we were driving here this morning, every time we come down this way, the road leads us past the Sizzler site and we mourn the loss of it um, deeply. Um, It's just a little moment of silence and, and then we move on. But we know what it's like to be hungry. The poor are hungry and a hungry person, when you are hungry, what do you do? You rarely just sit around and go, yeah, I'm starving. Usually you'll go, and that's what Jesus is saying here. In this topsy-turvy kingdom, when you are hungry, you will seek. So be hungry for me. Don't satisfy every need that you have apart from me. Hunger for me. Hunger for me, and I will satisfy you. Now, There is also a part here where it says, blessed are you who weep now. Now, I take comfort in this because if you know me, you'll know that my reaction to anything that doesn't go well or is slightly scary or if I'm slightly overwhelmed, that my go-to is I just cry. Um, That's just my thing. Some of you will get angry, slam doors, that kind of thing, spend money. Um, I'm married to Neil, so I don't do that. Um, with his knowledge, Um, and so um, I just cry. It's just a tear thing for me. So I look at this and go, yes, like I'm 100% nailing that. But what they're saying here, it's not going, you know what, if you're just like a weepy person or you've got allergies and your eyes run a lot, like that's not what it means. What this weeping here is saying is that you weep because you have an understanding of the impact of evil in this world. And when you do that, when we are weeping because we see what sin has done, we feel the effect of what sin has done in this world and we are grieved by it. When we take on that stance, you know what? He says, you know, one day that's gonna end. That's the part that's coming. You don't have to grieve anymore. Your tears won't flow anymore, even if you've got allergies. Well, you won't anyway, because you know, you'll be perfect, but... Your tears will not come because you're grieving, you're understanding, you're sensitive to what this world is like and you don't want that. And God says, you know what? Blessed are you when you can see the impact of evil in this world. And you know what? Know and look forward that there is a time when this will end and you know what we will be doing then? We'll be laughing because it's no more. And when we are, you know, poor and hungry and when we see the grievance of the world, we kind of get to that place where we recognise that we are spiritually bankrupt. Like the only way that there's good in us is because of a good, good God that sacrificed himself for us, so that when our name, when my name, your name gets called up to be judged, Jesus goes, no, 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 Sarah, you sit down. 
I'm your representative now. When we understand that concept, that he is everything, that he is all that we need, that he supplies our every need, and that even though we can grieve here and now, that he promises there are times where there will be no more grieving, he says, we will laugh then, but be blessed in the moments up until that time. Blessed are you when people hate you. I had my parents say this to me once when I was in high school. It did not go down well. Um, blessed are you when people hate you. It does not feel like a blessing at times. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and re- insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Now, it's not saying about universal rejection. It's not saying that. It's saying if you are rejected or you are accused or being hurt, being persecuted because you're a follower of me. He's saying rejoice in that day And leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how the ancestors treated the Lord's prophets. Do you know what? It's nothing new. When people hate you because of me, this is nothing new. It happened to like the prophets like years ago, way back in the start of that book, the Bible. But the joy comes from going, well, I'm going to be where you placed me. Regardless of what people' perspective of me, regardless of their thoughts about me, you know what? I can be happy and rejoice because I'm exactly where you want me to be. Where you've placed me, I'm there and I'm going to stay there. And we can have joy in those moments. Now, then we move on. That's the blessings. And we move on to the woe. And this is such a, this was so significant to me when I understood the language that went behind this. When, you, when I originally, you know, you read the words and woe is you and woe is you, they kind of came across as like a curse. It's like, cursed are you when you do this. And it, that's a total wrong perception interpretation of what is happening here. In the original Greek, the word is uai, uai actually, and like group and I or uai. And it says, it actually translates as expressing regretful compassion, not a threat. When we launch into reading the next four woes, it's not God saying like, woe is you, like when you do this. You know, he's saying another way to interpret it is the word alas. He's saying, oh, I'm so sorry for you that this is how you do your life. You are going to miss out on some things. I'm so sorry for you. I'm so regretful for you that this is how you understand things because you're going to miss the beauty of this. So understand this is what woe is. It's not like bolts of lightning. It is my heart grieves for you when you are in these positions. All right. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. He's not saying that you can't be wise with your wealth. He's not saying that, you know, if your bank account's over $50 and you're a student, you know, you should be ashamed on yourself. He's saying that it's an understanding of your, your riches completing you. And if that's what happens, if your satisfaction, if you feel like you've attained everything in life and your goal was to be the richest person in the room and you've got there, you know what? Well, you've just got your reward. 
but that's all that that reward is. And I'm really grieved when you just always want to get to the point where you can 100% buy everything you want. Every need is satisfied until you get a next need and then you work more, you earn more, you gamble more, you bet more so that you get more again. And if that's where you're at and your riches means that that's how you complete yourself, Jesus is saying, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for you that that's where you're at. You're gonna miss out on what it feels like for me to meet your needs, for me to bless you and for you to go, that can only have come from God. Because in this upside down kingdom, it's those that have nothing, that have everything. It's the people that are so, so rich that they see no need for God that are the real paupers in this kingdom. Wealth can predispose people to think that they need nothing, and that includes God. Worldly wealth is something to be attained here, but not in this upside-down kingdom. And comfort is not to be mistaken with being blessed. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Jesus is not here going, you know what? Oh, like I've had enough of you joking around. Let's just not laugh. Like, I don't want to waste my time. I've got more important things to do. I actually think, and this is part of why I love the Chosen series that depicts Jesus. I love seeing him laugh and carrying on and like, like elbowing the person beside him going, that was totally for you right now. Like I love the picture of God and of Jesus in that manner. And I believe that he would have laughed often. So he's not saying here, let's just, you know, give you a killjoy moment. But this kind of laugh interpreted correctly is a superficial laugh. It's kind of a laugh that goes, <laughs> I have so got my life together and you don't. Like, I do not have a care in the world. <laughs> like, life is so good for me right now. Oh my gosh, if only you could be like me. Like, it's a kind of laugh that goes, I don't have a care in the world because I have taken care of everything. And it's that kind of laugh that Jesus says, that's the kind of laugh that will actually produce tears in the long run. Because you're taking on a responsibility to fulfill something that was not made for you to fulfill. It's a superficial laugh, a ha-ha, look at me, a shallow merriment that will turn into mourning. And being hungry, we need to understand that if we are well fed, then there will be no room for God. If our lives are so filled that there is absolutely no need for anything else, we, we, we're filled to the brim and there's no need for him, then we will be weeping and mourning in the end. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And it's not talking about you know, woe to you if people think of you and think that you're a great and true friend. He's not saying that. It's actually 
like universal popularity. Because if you have universal popularity, which means everybody loves you, everybody speaks well of you, you've offended no one, you disagree with no one, at some point you have compromised your values, what you think is important in order to gain that popularity from someone else. And it says, woe is you when you just say whatever needs to be said so that everyone in the room thinks that you're a hero in this moment. Because you know what? That's what the false prophets used to be like in the Old Testament. Not the true prophets, the false prophets. They'd walk into a king and go, all right, he's really not going to like if we're going to have a drought, um, even though that's what, yeah, no, plenty of rain coming your way. Plant your harvest. That is what the false prophets were like. And they are cautioning, Jesus is cautioning his disciples here to say, don't be that person. In the kingdom of God, you know, universal popularity is nothing to be desired. It actually brings everything to you and you change what you say, what you do in the moment to gain that love, that affection from that person. You don't need that. Let me do that for you. Let me be the one. Being recognised as a good and true person, that's amazing. Of course, strive for that. But a true prophet is too true and honest and uncomfortable to be popular. And God, through Jesus, is saying, it's not my desire for you to become the most popular person in the room. But can you be true and honest? That's what being under my reign looks like. When we're true, when we're honest, that's what being a part of God's kingdom looks like. There's an upside-down kingdom that we are part of. It's different. It looks different for you and I compared to the people that are outside of this room and outside of this space. And there's no pressure here today for me to go, all right, before you leave, I need every single person to have signed up to being a part of this kingdom. You don't have to if you don't want to. If you're on a journey and you are just like, come up, you are just thinking about maybe, maybe not, yeah, maybe one day, God says, I'll go on that journey with you. The early church understood what it meant to be living like you are part of this kingdom. And because they did, you can read in the books of Acts, you can read that people flocked to them their churches grew by hundreds and thousands on a daily basis because they were living like the kingdom of God was present in their midst now. What would it look like if you and I walked out of that door today and went, you know what, I want to be a citizen of this heaven. And that citizenship takes place right now. You don't have to have a passport. You don't have to wait and have someone, you know, a photo where you can't smile and anything like that. You can walk out of this room saying, because I've accepted the kingdom of God, I've accepted the sacrifice that he's made for me, I'm a citizen of it and I want to live like it. It might turn some things upside down. It might mean that you change some behaviours, some principles, some ethics, some habits. But if we all did, however many of us are in this room today, what if we all did that? 
What if the people that we worked with saw that in us? They live differently. It's an upside down kind of way. What I think is valuable, hmm, they don't. What if we did that in our school? What if we did that in our home? What if we did that in our marriage, in our boyfriends, in our girlfriends, our friendships lived in this topsy-turvy kingdom? I believe we too could grow like that. And we could expand this place. And my sincere prayer is that you'll go home and unpack and relook at this yourself and go, let's turn refresh. Let's turn North Pine. Let's turn my work on its head. Let's build God's kingdom. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to live as citizens of it here and now.